normally, if, if you come here regularly, you're used to just diving right into Scripture. Um, we're starting a new sermon series, so we're going to take a little bit of time to explain that first before we, before we jump in. So rather than turning to somewhere in, in the Bible just yet, please join me in prayer as we begin. Lord, you are Lord. You are everything that word entails. You are victorious. You are master. You are commander. You are in charge of everything. You are the authority over everything. Everything is for your glory, your honor, because you are worthy of everything. You are Lord, and we praise you for that, and we submit to you. We readily declare that we have absolutely no authority in this, that we have no power, that that all belongs to you, and it is only by your Spirit in us that we can do any of this. So, Father, right now in this time, may you be glorified. May Christ be magnified. May the Spirit move as only he can. We surrender ourselves. We ask that you remove us entirely, that you prepare our hearts for your word, that you wield it like the sword that it is to cut through to the deepest parts of us. Sanctify us, Lord. Sanctify this time. Sanctify these words. Be glorified in this conversation. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we didn't meet last week. If you're connected to us online, email, any of that, hopefully you saw, we asked you to go back and rewatch the sermon on relentless pursuit. And that was, if you remember, that was presented in early spring of last year as this cultural vision for the church. Not a vision that's going to change every year, not a new target that every year we're going to present this new idea of, hey, this is what we're going to try. But this is the culture we want at this church. This is what we are committed to. We are committed to a culture of relentless pursuit. Relentless pursuit of what? Of holiness, of evangelism. Like you can fill in the blank, but at the, at the heart of it, it boils down to, it distills down to, if we can say that every man, woman, and child in this church is in relentless pursuit of Jesus, that is a church worth pursuing. And so we asked you to rewatch that message, and not only because it wrapped up last year, but it also ties into where we're going to be going this year. See, the responsibility of myself as pastor, of Mario as pastor, of the elders as the pastors, the overseers of this church, Ephesians 4 says that the leadership of the church was given to the church to do what? To equip the church for the work of the ministry. That is the burden on our hearts is to equip you all, to see you equipped. And it'll begin with a drive for relentless pursuit of Jesus. It'll begin with that knowledge of God as the one who goes before us, who fights for us, who declares victory, who is victorious, that we looked at in Joshua. It begins with God who is King of Kings, who is Prince of Peace, who is Wonderful Counselor, who is Almighty, who is Everlasting, that we looked at in Isaiah. It will begin with all of that, but then at some point, we got to step up to the plate and take ownership of our role that he has created for us in this. And so this sermon series that we want to start this year off, we're going to be looking at spiritual disciplines. And that word discipline has such a negative connotation. We've made it such a bad thing, which I think is funny because we also hate to be described as undisciplined. Like we were watching playoff football last night, my dad and I, and the announcer's talking about the secondary of the one team, and he was like, man, this is really an undisciplined secondary. Like you can tell in just the sloppy way they play, that they lag. So we, I don't want to be disciplined. Don't talk to me about discipline. But I, I also don't want to be described as undisciplined. 
So we got to figure out if we're willing to do something about that or not. So we're going to start with a series on spiritual disciplines. And, and to do so, I want, to, I want to tell you a story about myself. I want to give you a little bit more of a glimpse into who I am, who I was, what has shaped me. Uh, just speaking plainly, academically, high school came easy. I, I did very well academically in high school, and I did not have to give my best effort. And in my youthful immaturity, I therefore did not give my best effort. Right? If, I mean, if I could get by spending more time hanging out with my friends than studying, what, like, what 16-year-old is going to trade that? So I just didn't give my best effort in high school, and it was fine. And then I went to college, and I was like, cool, I, I know how to do this. I just show up, I have fun, I have a good time, I don't give my best effort, and things work out great. And then midterm grades came out, and my parents were super pumped when midterm grades came out. And we're going through the list, and they're like, hey, Sam. How are your grades? Oh, they're good. Yeah, you didn't sound so enthusiastic. Well, I'm failing one or two classes. And the worst one I was failing was, was Dr. Jones. I will never forget Dr. Jones's class, freshman year. And so midterm grades come out. Surely the F is not my fault. I'm brilliant. It must be your fault. So I go to Dr. Jones's office hours to tell him, you know, hey, look, you got to do something about my grade. Like, your class is too hard. This is unreasonable. You're unfair. This is, this is all on you. And Dr. Jones sat there, and Jones took it. And he's like, okay, let me just let me ask you a few questions. Uh, at Grove City, I went to Grove City College. We had an online portal where students could go in, and you could engage with your other classmates. People would ask for tutoring help. They set up study sites. So he's like, the online portal, right? Like, so when you go on and you ask, hey, can anyone help me? Can anyone help me with tutoring or anything? Like, are other students not saying, like, following you up on that? Well, I haven't done that. He's like, okay, well, what about like the study session? Like, I know there's a group in this class that meets before every test and quiz. Like, what are, is the study group not helping you? Well, I don't, I don't go to that. Sam, you've written three papers. I tell you, you can submit the rough draft to me every time. I'll give you feedback. I'll help it. You haven't done that. No, I, I haven't. I have office hours every single day. This is the first time all semester you've showed up. Yeah, that, that's true. How long are you spending on homework? Um, yeah, let's just skip that question. And Dr. Jones looked at me and said the most insulting thing a teacher has ever said to me. And it was the single greatest thing he could have said to me in that moment. He sat in his desk. He's like, okay, so you shared. I asked you some questions. You know what the real issue is? Here's the real issue, and it's pretty clear. He said, the problem is not with this class. The problem is not with what's required of you. The problem is that you don't want to do it. You don't want to do the work that's necessary. You want this to be easy, and it's not. So you can either change your behavior and you can do well, or you can continue and don't expect a whole lot of change. How dare he? And I left his office in a huff, and then I started thinking about it, and I was like, yeah. He is 100%. I mean, I was doing minimal effort, expecting maximum output. It was entirely on me. And what he was asking me, what he forced me to consider, he forced me to consider this issue, that I, he didn't use these words, but what, what it boiled down to is he asked me, Sam, are you willing to be disciplined as a student or not? You're at this college for a purpose, for one purpose, to receive a degree. I won two IM championships. Probably the greatest athlete, group of athletes the world has ever known. We won back-to-back -back years. Very proud of that. You know, not a single job asked me about that when I was applying for it. 
You know that's never once popped up after we got those t-shirts? And I'm pretty sure both of those t-shirts are now thrown away. So he forced me to consider, what is your purpose as a student, and are you willing to be disciplined in pursuit of it? And up until that point, I wasn't. And so I, had, I was at a crossroads. Am I going to change my behavior or not? Because here's the thing about purpose. You cannot overlook the necessity of purpose in your life. These are all based on studies. I can, I can give you the academic studies that back up every one of these statements. The stronger a sense of purpose is in an individual's life, people who have a strong sense of purpose and are committed to fulfilling that purpose, they're more resilient to the trials of life, proven more mentally and emotionally, psychologically resilient to the trials of life. And they exhibit better recovery from negative events in their life. They live longer and healthier lives. I mean, literally live longer, healthier lives, the stronger an individual's sense of purpose and commitment to it is. They're more engaged with others, and they find relationships more meaningful. In summation, there was one study that I read in this, and the opening line was, in summary, the stronger the sense of purpose in your life, the better your life is in every single regard. And here's the really tragic part. The world does not have this purpose. Only 18% of people, they did a study in 2019, how many of you get the satisfaction, get the purpose in life that you want from your job? Only 18% of people said, yeah. I told that to my brother whose career is built on studying college majors and, and the impact and all of this. I shared that with my brother. And his response was, he's like, man, that seems high. I mean, think about it. Okay, my job. How many times have we said, well, if I could just get that new job? If I could just find myself in the perfect job, then everything would fall into place. Things would start clicking. 18% of the world would say, yeah, that's true. That's way more that would say, no, that's not true. There was another study that was done, and they gave the, the participants this sentence, or these two sentences. I feel like I have purpose in my life. My life has meaning. Those are the percentages of the age group that agree with that statement. The highest percentage is not even 60%. People 65 and older came closest. And you may be thinking that's good, but think about it. If there are 10 people in this room over the age of 65, four of you feel like your life has no meaning and doesn't have purpose. And maybe those numbers are a little higher for the church. I, I truly, truly hope so. But I mean, look at that. Every generation, you can see every generation, we are less and less and less aware of purpose and meaning in our lives. And this wreaks havoc on us. It wreaks havoc on our relationships. It wreaks havoc on our mental health, our emotional health, our physical health. This is an epidemic in America, a lack of purpose. But here is the most incredible, joyous news that for the believer, this isn't an issue. And don't dismiss this. Don't overlook this. Because praise God that if I have fellowship with Jesus, if I am in fellowship with God the Almighty, if I am a believer, if Jesus is my Lord, then I have purpose. What does Scripture say? Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. 
proclaiming all that I have told you to all nations, to the ends of the earth. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3, 7, and 8. For this is the will of God. When people say, what's God's will for my life? 1 Thessalonians 4. This is the will of God, your sanctification. We've talked about that word. That's the theological concept for becoming holier, becoming more like Jesus. This is the will of God, your sanctification. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Believers, you woke up today and you've got purpose. And it has been clearly defined. Be more like Jesus and preach Jesus. Those are your two defining, driving purposes as given by God, the author of the universe. That's incredible. I don't have to wonder what my purpose is. If I lose my job, I don't have to worry that my life has lost purpose. If I lose a spouse or a child or a sibling or a parent, I don't have to worry that my life has lost purpose. If I lose my health, I don't have to worry that my life has lost purpose. Because my purpose has been eternally established by the everlasting Father. It's unbelievable that he gives us this, looking at the blessing and the reward that a clearly defined purpose is in our lives. So the question for the believer, the question for you and I is not, do I have a purpose or what is my purpose, but am I disciplined in pursuing my purpose? I don't have to try and figure out what my purpose is. I have to ask myself, Sam, are you disciplined in pursuing your purpose of becoming more like Jesus? Are you disciplined in pursuing your sanctification? Are you disciplined in pursuing proclamation of Jesus? Am I disciplined in going to the ends of the earth in my sphere of influence and proclaiming the name of Jesus? That is the real question for the believer. And that's what this series is going to look at. We want to, we want to look at the theology behind all of these disciplines that we're going to get into. And then also look at the practicality. When Pastor Mario and I did our midweek video, he used the phrase, the, the, the reason and the way. Right? We're going to look at the reason for something and some of the ways that you can pursue it. And so and as we begin this new series, I want to establish, I want to lay the framework, the foundation for what we're going to get into. And look, we've got to begin with that. Let's be very, very honest from the start. God initiates this and empowers this. This is not based on how awesome I am. This is not based on how great you are. This is not a grit your teeth, white knuckle your way through it. You can do it on your own. If you remove Jesus, if you remove the Holy Spirit, if you remove God from this process, you will fail miserably. God initiates this. God empowers this. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. May God sanctify you. 1 Corinthians 6.11 And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Side note, those two passages combine for a pretty cool Trinitarian view of sanctification. You see all three, right? But it begins with God. It's empowered by God. 
Acts 1.8, you will receive power when? When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. What's the result? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Sanctification and evangelism, the two purposes as laid out by God for every believer, are initiated by God, empowered by God, and must be sustained by God. It is abundantly clear that this is his will, this is his plan, this is his purpose. But we're not meant to be passive. God initiates, God empowers, but we don't just sit back and enjoy the ride. Hey, I'm just here to coast. Philippians 3, 12 through 14, y'all should know this passage. It's on the poster out there. It's on t-shirts we wear. It's on our website. I mean, you should know Philippians 3, 12 through 14. Not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on. I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 2.21, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, if anyone cleanses himself, from what is dishonorable. He will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. When was the last time we looked at ourselves in the mirror and said, am I useful to God? Am I a vessel ready for every good work? Hebrews 12, 14, strive. I mean, listen to these actions. Like these actions. This isn't, you know, hope for, kind of, wave at as it passes by. It's, I press on. I strive. There is very real momentum and power in this. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without, no one, without which no one will see the Lord. Hebrews 13, 20 to 21. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. I mean, goodness. You remove Jesus from the equation, and it's hopeless. It's all about Jesus. It's all about God. But then what's the second half to those statements? Now, may the God of peace, who did these things, the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good. Why? So that you may do his will. What's his will? Your sanctification. Your evangelism. May God equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. 1 Peter 1, 15-16 and 2, 15. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. There are other passages in Scripture that talk about conduct yourselves in such a way that those who would oppose you are ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about you. Conduct yourselves in such a way that those who oppose you are ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about you. And when Jesus comes, they glorify him. How cool would it be if somebody tried to bash Christians in the church and the rest of the world was like, no, oh, man, I'm not buying it. Right? Like if, I got up, if somebody got up and they were like, I'm going to make fun of Christians in the church because they're lazy, and people were like, no, are you, are you kidding me? Christians are the most hard, they're the hardest working people I know. Oh, they're greedy. No, Christians are the most generous people I know. 
They're the kindest people I know. They're the most merciful people I know. They're the most gracious. I don't like Christianity. I don't believe in Jesus, but I can't deny that the best people in this world that I know are Christians. I mean, imagine if the church conducted itself in such a manner that those who would oppose the message of Jesus are ashamed because they have nothing to criticize about us. That's the standard in Scripture. Do not shrink back from it. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. We've been empowered for this. We've been called to this purpose. 2 Peter 1, 3 through 8. Oh, this one. This passage challenges me. and Just, man, this is a humbling passage. 2 Peter 1, 3 through 8. His divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Three through four, it's all about Jesus. It's all about God. It's all about the Holy Spirit. This is not our own power. I will say that till I'm blue in the face. But... I will also say these next verses till I'm blue in the face. So because of this, because of the empowering of Jesus, because of the empowering of the Holy Spirit, because of what God has done, His purposes, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Make every effort effort. Can I truthfully look in the mirror and say, yes, I am making every effort. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's the flip side of that. If there is a means to be kept from being ineffective and unfruitful, then I think Scripture is clear. It's entirely possible for believers to be ineffective and unfruitful in their knowledge of Jesus. When was the last time we asked ourselves, am I ineffective for Jesus? Am I bearing fruit for the kingdom of heaven? Am I making every effort to pursue and add these things, to possess these qualities in increasing measure? Am I disciplined in my pursuit of my purpose? It's not hard. That's pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward. It's the discipline to follow through. It's the discipline to surrender. It's the discipline to seek these things, to strive for these things, to value these things above all else. As we go through this series, you guys know I have no problem getting specific. Why? Because I think the New Testament writers got specific. If Phil does something great, I'm going to say Phil's name up here. Right? That's what the New Testament writers did. We're going to do that in this series. There are people in this church who, uh, I mean, have provided such beautiful pictures of these disciplines that we're going to look at. And I won't, get, I won't mention names with this, but I'm going to get specific, and I'm going to repeat excuses that I've been given by this body for why they don't engage in some of these spiritual disciplines. I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus, so I'm not going to use names, but I'm going to get specific, and I'm going to quote your own words back to you. And then we're going to, together as a corporate body, look in the mirror and say, okay, are we making every effort? We're going to do that each week. Why? Because we need to be honest. We need to be humble. We need to be self-aware. We need to be self-evaluative. If we're not doing these things, 
we're going to really struggle to grow. If I have no idea where I was a year ago, then how can I tell if I've grown? So it's going to require reflection. We're going to need to be vulnerable. But why can we do this? Because of his power at work within us. Ephesians 3, 20 to 21. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all you ask or imagine, according to his power at work within us. It's not about us. It's not about me. It's not about the elders. It's not about the sound booth, the worship team. It's about the Holy Spirit. He empowers us to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. Come on, that's awesome. That's why we're going to pursue spiritual disciplines. Because it's worth it. And because this is what God has called us to. There is no other standard. Your elders and I will not apologize for a high standard. Don't you apologize for one in your own life. Set one in your own life. Pursue one in your own life. Because that's the bottom line. We're meant to be disciplined. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. Get very used to these two passages. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable one. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. In 1 Timothy 4, 6 through 10 and 15, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of good doctrine that you have followed. Anybody ever tries to tell you, oh, doctrine's not that important. You point them to Timothy and say, okay, this conversation's over. Doctrine matters. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end, what was the end? Godliness. For to this end, for to godliness, we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe." Practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Immerse yourself. If I go to the ocean and I do this, I went swimming in the ocean. No, you didn't. You... That's not swimming. Christians, believers, man, take a cannonball into the deep end. Immerse yourself in this. This is what I expect the elders to hold me to. This is what I hold the elders to. This is what we're going to hold you to. We're going to practice these things. We're going to train ourselves for godliness. Why? Because it's for Jesus' glory. This isn't done out of fear. This isn't done out of duty and obligation, resentment. This is done out of deep love. This is, Jesus, you died for me so that I may live forever with you I want you to have my everything. This isn't done because, oh, well, I don't want, you know, to be scorned by the leadership. At no, this isn't, this isn't driven by guilt or worry or fear. This is driven, this should be driven by love, by a deep love for the Lord that wants to pursue godliness because we want to give him our everything. And also make no mistake, these spiritual disciplines are not the end. They're the means to the end of holiness, of godliness. Do not turn these disciplines into an idol. 
Do not turn them into a checklist. Why are you disciplined in Scripture? Well, because that's what makes me a good person. And that's what makes me better than you. No, I'm disciplined in Scripture because that is a way of pursuing holiness. I'm disciplined in prayer. I'm disciplined in giving. I'm disciplined in serving. Not because I can brag about these things, but because they are a means of pursuing holiness. Do not turn the disciplines into an idol themselves. So these disciplines we're going to look at, they're commanded in Scripture, they're modeled in Scripture, they're promoted in Scripture, they're clearly laid out in Scripture. It's got to begin with God's Word, which is why the very first one, and other than Scripture, this list isn't in order. Actually, Scripture and praying, okay. The first two are in order. We're going to begin with Scripture, because it's got to begin with God's Word. Why? Because His Word is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. My words are not. Your words are not. So we're going to begin with Scripture. We're going to begin with making sure we are a church disciplined in Scripture. But then we're going to look at these things. We're going to look at serving. We're going to look at giving. We're going to look at fasting, worship, fellowship, evangelism. All of these things that should define the life of the believer. And to do so in a way that is effective for you will require that you be humble. That you be willing to look in the mirror and say, how am I doing here? And answer that question honestly. You know what? All right, so real quick, we're just going to run through excuses. Scripture, I just, I'm not a reader. I don't like to read. Praying, I've never been comfortable praying. I'm not sure how to pray. I'm not sure what to pray. Serving, I'm just so busy. Giving, I'm just stretched so thin financially. Fasting, I'm not comfortable with that. Worship, I've never liked singing out loud. I don't like this style of music. I don't like these songs. Fellowship, I'm just too busy. I have my own schedule. I have my own things going on. Evangelism, I'm not comfortable speaking to people about Jesus. What words started every single one of those excuses? I. Who is God in every single one of those excuses? I. So if we cannot humbly die on the cross and say, okay, you know what? I might not. Guys, I don't have a good voice. Like, there's a reason nobody sits in the row behind me. I still sing these songs because God has commanded me to use my voice to praise him. And it is a joy to do so. Giving, serving, fellowship, evangelism. They've been commanded in Scripture. They've been laid out in Scripture. So I either say, okay, I will die to self and submit to you, God, or I will give you my reason why this doesn't apply to me. A life of spiritual discipline is going to require humility. It's going to require awareness. It's going to require vulnerability. We're going to do it together. I'll share with you where I'm not perfect in these, where I need to grow. Right? I need to grow. I do. You need to grow. Spoiler alert. We all need to grow. We're going to do it together. It's going to be great. It's not going to be easy, but it's worth it. It's what Jones said to me. You want it to be easy, but it's not. It's worth it. That's what we're going to pursue as a church. That's what we're going to focus on for this coming series. And in order to do so, I'm going to give you one phrase that I am asking you to start using truthfully. Because I'll go out on a limb and say the majority of time I hear this phrase, it's used untruthfully. I don't have the time, I can't find the time for. Dad, how many hours are in your day? 24 hours in your day. We just watched that movie on C.S. Lewis. How many hours were in his day? 24. How many hours were in Peter's day? 24. How many hours were in Abe Lincoln's day? 24. The length of the day has never changed. 
no matter how hard you look, I can't find the time? Well, yeah, because it's already set in stone, 24 hours. It's, I chose not to spend the time in this manner. I really wanted to be there. I really wanted to. I just, I couldn't find the time. I really wanted to be at pre-service prayer. That makes me feel good about myself, but I just, I can't seem to find the time. Well, it's right there on your clock, already set in stone. Are you going to set your alarm earlier, or are you going to not? I wanted to be a Bible study. I just, I couldn't find the time. Well, it was right where everybody else who was there found it, on the clock. Are you going to be there or not? If we're going to use I can't, let's use it truthfully. Hey, I couldn't be there because I got sick and I am vomiting. That's a legitimate use of I can't. My boss scheduled me and told me if I don't show up, I'm fired. That's a legitimate use of I can't. I just, I couldn't get away from the yard work. Yeah, don't you hate it when armed gunmen show up and forbid you from dropping the rake? No, you could get away from the yard work. You chose not to. I mean, we got to be honest with the words we use because that's what it will require to pursue discipline. That's what we're going to do together. So for this week, read 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27, and 1 Timothy 4, 6 through 10 and 15. And the question is simple. Does your life reflect a training for godliness? I mean, a training for Anybody who's run a marathon, what do you think the odds are that they went from running zero miles to 26 miles the very first time? <laughs> Maria Shea, Kyle runs what, like 300 miles at a time now? Like, well, in one go, ish, ish. Kyle runs, if you don't know Kyle, Kyle does those ultra marathons where you're like, I'm going to run across the continent in two hours. Like, it's insane. I'm going to bet that Kyle didn't start with that. No, you train, you build yourself up to it. So just simply ask yourself, as you read these passages this week, does my life reflect a training for godliness? And then the prayer ideas are simple. If you struggle with prayer, Phil and Tim, and we have two elders sitting side by side, as representatives of the church, do I have permission to be very blunt right now? They both nodded. I'm going to be very blunt right now. If you are in this church, the excuse of I don't know where to read in the Bible and I don't know what to pray for, you are not allowed to use those two excuses. Because every single week we say, here's where you read in the Bible, it's related to the sermon, so here's what you look for as you read in the Bible, and here are some prayer ideas. Those two excuses do not exist in this body. So read these passages and prayer ideas. If you do struggle, I get it that people struggle with prayer. I get if you're not used to it, it's different. You have to learn. So some prayer ideas are simple. Lord, thank you for the model and teaching of Jesus. I mean, just praise him for the example that Jesus gave us. Pray for that. Thank him for the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Pray for that. And then ask him to discipline us, to give us a heart that is disciplined. There are some prayer ideas. And then the connect is simple as well. Reach out to someone from this body. Ask them what they're learning. Hey, what's up, man? You're reading through those chapters or those passages. What are you learning? Also, will you be my gym buddy? Will you be my training partner? I'm not disciplined when it comes to prayer. I want to be. Will you help hold me accountable? Where do you need to grow? I'll hold you accountable. Workouts go a lot better when you've got someone doing them with you. So that's what we're going to start with this week as we pursue this idea of spiritual disciplines. And we're going to get into it more, and we're going to really ask ourselves if, as a church, we are spiritually disciplined in our lives. 
I'm telling you guys, it's worth it. We're going to pursue it together. Please join me in prayer. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for when it cuts hard. Thank you for when it cuts deep. Thank you for when it pierces through and divides flesh from soul. So Lord, do that. Wield the sword of the Spirit and cut us to pieces where we need to be. Father, would you raise up a church that is disciplined? Thank you for the purposes that you have given us. What a treasure that you have freed us from that pain of feeling meaningless, of feeling purposeless. Lord, what a gift in and of itself. May you create in us hearts that pursue these purposes. We want to do it for your name, for your glory. Who cares if they remember Community Bible Church? May the world know Jesus. And may we play our part in that. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and it's for his glory we pray. Amen. Hey everyone, Pastor Sam here. Thanks for joining us for a Sunday sermon. If you're interested in more of the sermons from this series or some of our past sermon series that we've done, you can find them at discovercommunity.org under the sermon file. Uh, otherwise, you can subscribe to this channel to make sure you stay up to date on all our content. Thanks for joining us.